This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I am Fallon and I am here with Mims. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? Well, I have COVID again. Damn. I feel like everybody's just catching COVID again and I'm over here like dodging it left and right. Yeah, um, take some extra vitamins. Well, you're super for being here. Stay away from people. Everybody has COVID. Yeah. It's like an outbreak in our area. There must be, yeah, because my other friend recently just had it and so did her boyfriend. So I'm like, wow, it's like everybody's having it right now. I don't get it. Yeah, I heard like 10 people in the last like week. And then my girls, my teenage girls left for DC yesterday. Hmm. Yeah. I got to Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and one of the staff members, not on their bus, but on another bus, had COVID, so oh. they had to, like, stop. They also wear masks on the bus. Oh, wow. Oh, and they're, like, already out there, so, like, there's no turning back. That person will have to come back. They'll get her home somehow, but they all, they all took a test on Sunday, and they must have had to test again when they stopped. I have no idea. But, uh, I wish it was just not a thing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Me too. I'm over it. Yeah. Do you have any news? It's been such a busy week <laughs> for me that I, ba- I barely like got enough time to do this. So I'm just scrolling in with my story. Because me too. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's going on in the world. Me neither. There's just too much right now. Too much going on. Too much going on. Yeah. Personally. Between trying to get my studio ready and then having COVID. I'm just like, eh, I don't know. I think the world still exists outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Okay. So we can be a mess together. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, well, I'll get started then. Sounds good. Today I am telling Janet Rush's story. My sources are thepostcrescent.com, newspapers.com, on October 11th, 1984, she called into work because she wanted to travel home to Merrill to see her family. And her great travel plans were hitchhiking. It scares me so much that people just used to do that regularly. Oh my gosh, yeah. And like, yeah, actually getting in the car with, well, I was going to stay with a stranger, but we do that with Uber all the time. Yeah, yeah. 
And like to think that you are banking on somebody just being out on the road willing to give you a ride to begin with. Because what if you don't and you're just stuck walking and walking? Yeah. I don't know. So her friends dropped her off at the intersection of 54 and JJ. And that's kind of in a rural place in Stevens Point, too. It's not like a big main street. So mm-hmm. she dropped her off with her duffel bag so she could look for a ride. Oh, great. Yeah. Then on October 15th, in 1984, she was reported missing because nobody had heard from her since they left her there. Oh, geez. I know. And then on November 17th of 1984, Janet's family got the call they had been dreading. Janet's body had been found. Two hunters had stumbled upon her body. It was located about 300 feet into the woods in the town of Buena Vista, which is only two miles from the intersection where her friends say they dropped her off. Oh, geez. She only got two miles away. Yeah, I would guess she was probably still walking. Yeah. Like, they right. just wait at the intersection. When they first located her body, Everyone was hoping, like, the autopsy would come back and lead to some clues and find her killer. But unfortunately, due to the state of decomposition of her body, they are unable to even determine a definite cause of death. Mm. Wow. So reports indicate that the authorities believe her cause of death was strangulation, probably because they couldn't see, like, any physical injuries, like stab wounds or bullets or anything like that, so... Right. They're guessing, right. They guessed it was strangulation, but they don't know for sure. Mm. And they also believe it was possible that she was sexually assaulted, but again, they're unable to determine this for sure. They did determine that her body, and this is according to somebody on Web Sleuths, so I don't know if it's actual facts. Right. <laughs> but they said that her body had only been there for about a week to 10 days which would mean that she was being held somewhere in between that time from her date of disappearance until she was eventually found. No. That's terrible. Yeah. That's terrible. That's like my biggest fear. Yeah, absolutely. One of the millions that this podcast gives you. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much on the tippy top for me, just like going about my business and then not just like a quick kill or like a quick rape, but like I'm being held for uh, X amount of days or weeks or months, or maybe I'm never let go or something until they are just done. Yeah. And then you have to just like wake up every day, not knowing what they're going to do and knowing that you can't do what you want to do. Yeah. Like um, that case where uh, the Amanda Berry case, where the three girls were being held at that guy Castro's house and they went missing since they were like 14 or 15 and they were like grown women by the time that they escaped and I just think how do you have the mental strength to go years and years and just say like there's going to be an end eventually you know yeah that's terrible yeah I'm gonna have nightmares tonight (laughs) (laughs) So they did collect a lot of evidence from the crime scene, but they have not released what that evidence was. 
Mm. They just say they did collect a lot of evidence. One of the detectives said that a big part of his office is filled with boxes related to her case. And then they have like a whole room full of boxes in the basement as well because they have so much material on her case. That's so like crazy. Boxes and boxes and boxes, but the case hasn't been solved. And I think that would be have to be so incredibly frustrating as a detective to actually be doing the work and not getting anywhere. Yeah, and having so many clues and so many things that could be pointing to something without it actually being completed. Right. Because most of the time I feel like we just don't know what happened. There's like, you know, very little information. There's no leads. Nobody's talking, but that's not the case in this case. Mm-hmm. It's the case Oh, the investigation wouldn't get very far in 1984, despite detectives putting in hundreds of hours of work. But then in 2002, the Wisconsin Department of Justice had received numerous tips. And somehow these tips led them to decide it was necessary to exhume her body. Mm, Okay. So they exhumed Janet's body from the St. Paul Lutheran Cemetery in Marathon County. And the DOJ collected samples that were then sent to the lab, hoping that new DNA technology could help them solve the crime. Mm -hmm. So there's something that leads them to believe that there's DNA in the case. And then it it came out that people had speculated over the years that Janet may have been pregnant. Oh. So people think that the authorities thought that the pregnancy could lead to DNA results. Like if it wasn't random, she was murdered by somebody she knows, it could have been whoever she was pregnant by. So if you get the baby's DNA, Mm -hmm. you might know who the perpetrator was, but they were unable to obtain any useful information from exhuming her. Which is what I thought would happen because when they found her, they couldn't do much testing. They couldn't do they couldn't find a lot of like means of how she died anyway. So I was like, after all that, that time and the, the body decomposed even more, how would that be more likely to find more information? I didn't get that. Yeah. Sometimes they do dig people up and find like DNA under their fingernails or something. But I would think when they did the autopsy, they would have mentioned if she was pregnant. Yeah, yeah, and just check everything. Check all the, the crevices and the fingernails and the, the you know, everything. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Then the investigator's next break came in the form of a letter. The authorities have released very little information about the letter, and they didn't even originally plan on sharing any information. Like, they weren't even going to tell the public that they had received the letter. But they the letter was sent anonymously. So they came forward trying to persuade the writer to come forward and possibly share further information. Mm -hmm. But that has not happened. Wow. That must be some crazy knowledge that they must have and and fear. Yeah, I think so. It felt like a lot of fear to me because why would you write the writing the letter? It seems to me like they want to get it off of their conscience, but they don't want to be associated with it. Right. So some people in the public believe they have a strong suspect in the murder, 
and they named uh, Michael Roy Larson, who he's deceased. That's the only reason I'm saying his whole name here. Yeah. So Larson's neighbor, Bernadette Smith, told authorities that she was awakened late one night by uncontrollable sobbing and crying coming from a female on Larson's property. Oh, my God. And she said she... Oh, can you imagine? You just, like, have a single male neighbor, and all of a sudden you hear a woman just hysterical next door. Especially knowing, like, this this man is single, you know, and lives alone. Like, if I knew that for a fact and I heard that, I'd be like, uh, shit's not right. Yeah. And she said she yelled out the window to see what was going on. I just imagine her being, like, old and cranky and opening the window like, shut the hell up. <laughs> and she said after that she heard larson's car start up and then she heard a thud and the crying stopped no oh god i know other witnesses said larson has alluded to being involved in the murder and others say he has told them that he picked up janet when she was hitchhiking but that he didn't take her home that he dropped her off somewhere else Hmm. And police have never revealed whether or not her body showed signs of being hit by a vehicle. So I don't know if that's a viable theory or not. But Bernadette Smith didn't, well, the police didn't release what day specifically that she said that this happened, but it was at the beginning of November. Okay. So like a week before she was found. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that it was her crying over there. Oh, God. Oh, God. I know. And then there's people who theorize that Larson could have been involved in other crimes. And according to a researcher on Web Sleuths, records from U.S. Search indicate that his previous wife lived right across the street from the B-Bar 10 in Amherst, Wisconsin. And another one of his relatives worked at a right of foods in Clover where another unsolved murder victim had worked and who had been murdered in Adams County. And another one of his close family members was working at Cherney Cheese in Wapaka, where another unsolved murder victim, Tana Togstead, had worked before her death. So they did like this little thing of all these unsolved crimes in places he had been, places he was associated with, to say that it's possible that he was involved with all of these. Right. Which is so smart. Oh, I'm so glad that they, that they did that. is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but the B-Bar 10, that's the, I don't know if you remember, because this is way back in the episodes. Yeah. In episode, in episode three, I had talked about Tana Togstead and Timothy Mumbrew's murder. And... The owner of the B-Bar 10 was implicated in their murder Mm -hmm. because they said that Tana possibly frequented that store because she was a rodeo rider and they sold Western gear there. Right. So if Larson did live across the street from that establishment at some point in time, he could have seen her go into the store and she could have been working with one of his relatives. So... He could be another suspect in her case as well. God, there's so many fucked up people. That's my next statement. (laughs) (laughs) It is 
It is so disturbing how many possible murderers we run into in our lives. Like, have you ever stopped and thought about that? Right, because there's some that are, like, really fit the mold. And then it Mm -hmm. turns out that, like, by, like, DNA or by a a confession or by whatever means the actual person is revealed. And I'm like, but literally this person is such a good candidate for whatever horrendous thing that just happened and I hate that there's so many people that could fit that it's disturbing it's so disturbing and I think about like just like Tana those are the two people I had named in her episode and now this guy Mm. is just at least three different murderers yeah that she had been in proximity to and there could be more than that there could be there is a lot of um unsolved murders and missing women in the central wisconsin area if our listeners are interested you can go down a huge rabbit hole there oh my gosh yeah if you think we give you anxiety um we're just the tip (laughs) yeah just the tip of the iceberg because there's so much more yeah. And if people did want to listen to the episode about Tana's murder, that was episode three, Don't Be a Sister Wife. Great episode. <laughs> Great episode. All right. So I have no conclusion per usual. <laughs> you always doing that to me. Frustrate the world. That's all right. I'm already very frustrated. So um, nothing more to add to it then right <laughs> one of these days somebody's gonna listen and be like oh i knew her and i knew this person that was associated with her and this is what really happened and never i would love lose. that yeah get more like insider information on these things that happened especially since a lot of these places that we talk about are so close-knit you know yeah they're so small and at this point you know, if they're from the 80s, people are getting older, like, you know, mm-hmm. almost 40s, like me. Or if they were 20 then, then they're going to be in their 60s. Maybe the murderer will die. And then the people come feel comfortable coming forward when they realize people are still trying to solve these cases. They're not yeah. done. Right, right. Just, like, because... just because it's not on the front page right now, people her family still wants to know what happened to her absolutely yeah and there should be no reason why something should close um just because of time no and this is currently the only unsolved murder in portage county oh wow so they're they're taking it right they're taking it very seriously they're like this is not a cold case to us it may be unsolved but it's not a cold case we actively work on it I love that. I love that. Um, they, they're probably really prideful of that, of that being, uh, you know, just so low. Um, not mm-hmm. a lot to say that one unsolved uh, case is pretty unheard of. So they're probably like, you know, this is not tolerable. We need to get this to zero. They're so close. Yeah, yeah they're so close. Well, uh, great job. Great job, Portage. Hopefully they can uh, wrap it up soon when bastards die and, you know, people yeah. start to get less fearful of murdering people. Yeah, absolutely. 
stayed the sentence as long as he paid the support. So it has been analyzed that by killing the children, it creates devastation for the partner before killing him or her too. And that's why they take extra step on um, killing their actual kids because it, the more devastating it is um, for the person that they're trying to hurt, um, the more that they're accomplishing, which is very sick and twisted. It really is. Because that means you don't value your kids' lives either. They're just possessions too. Bonds are possessions. They're not people that you created and love and care for. And in this case, Nicole's sister and friend were also murdered. And it is speculated that it was to cause more pain and almost to make Nicole feel guilty as if her actions caused the chain of events and their suffering is due to her behavior. Right. Um, in the event of a family annihilation, there typically is a last act, which is suicide, uh, unless a person already had started a new life, like um, Chris Watts, that disgusting douchebag. Yeah. Um, he been off himself because of um, him starting a new relationship with another woman. And that oftentimes happens if it's not because of jealousy or possession um, that they don't see as a means to guard whoever's in their way. Um, right. They, at, in this circumstance, they basically see that there's no point in living anymore, that what they have done served its purpose. And then their suicide is just a completion of everything. Yeah. So the following Monday morning, a cluster of teddy bears, stuffed bunnies, a dinosaur, and candles stood underneath the tree outside of the duplex as a memorial for the kids and the, the three women that did die. The following Tuesday, the officers who rescued Jasmine visited her in the hospital. Delvin Police Sergeant Todd Weiss stated she obviously lost some family that evening, but I think she gained some family. Lots of uncles in the department who are going to adopt her for a lack of a better term, which is very sweet. Um, they basically, their, you know, their task force, their their law enforcement family, and reached out to her as a child. You know, like she lost everybody. Mm -hmm. um, nothing was released as far as who she was placed with. Um, but I think that is probably for the best. Um, yeah, you know. I think so. So Kay Makara said that her daughter was one um, amongst the people that were killed. Kay stated that she was very happy, very bubbly, and very friendly. She was also always there for anyone in the family, and she was the one to always prevent a confrontation. She would always step in if two people were fighting and she was the mediator. So it's just really tragic that somebody that would always be some sort of comfort for somebody is taken away like that. Um, Victor Huerta, the brother of Caspar Huerta, who escaped the shooting unarmed, felt upset too. He said that Nicole and Ashley were his best friends and he was devastated by losing them. Governor Jim Doyle issued a statement 
Monday saying his thoughts and prayers were with everyone affected by the heartbreaking shootings, which he said were a reminder that we need to work to ensure the safety of families and communities across the state. Yeah. And I, I think that mental health should be talked about, you know, I think that if you go to therapy and <laughs> work on what you have as a problem and it wasn't so stigmatized, a man can go to um, see a therapist and say, hey, I, I'm having a lot of rage filled uh, thoughts uh, against my partner and I'm not, I'm not taking the separation well or whatever. And it, if it wasn't so um, thought as being weak, I think that we would solve a lot of our fucking problems. I do too. You just sometimes just talking to somebody and getting all your frustrations out. Like we do that before we record. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you don't talk to anyone and you keep everything in, eventually it all just bursts out. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, and therapy is a great resource, but also I, and I know like it's not, um, I guess talking to somebody that's licensed and that won't just agree with everything that you say is yeah. something that you should do, but also just being able to have somebody to go to be a, a somebody listen to your problems and give you constructive criticism and advice is somebody that you should have in life. And not everybody has that. Yeah, that's true. So this is for my friends. Paul McAfee, two six-month-old twin boys, Thea and Argenius, Ashley Huerta, and Vanessa Iverson, and not in remembrance, but um, a tribute to Jasmine, who is a survivor of all of this. And that's my story. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. It was pretty tough when I seen the you know, the kids' involvement, I'm like, damn, like, bliss. Yeah, it's heartbreaking that people can do this to their own children, like children at all, but just your own children. Yeah. You can just look at them and not see them as, you know, a little part of you. Yeah, little bits of you. Yeah, Yeah. It, it breaks my heart that they weren't, they were only a means to an end for, yeah. for, by their own dad. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the worst. Yeah. You did a okay. great job. Thank you. Thank you. I want to leave you guys on a positive note. Um, okay. Let's do one thing that makes us happy. Even if it's just once a day, um, just be, mindful of doing something that's happy like going on a nice long walk by yourself or do whatever you know even if that means getting a donut yeah um, but just keeping happiness um is really important it really is and it's just the little things just little things you do add up yeah they really do yeah because the more that you are happy in your life the less that the outside will negatively impact you if you're secure in yourself agreed that's how we can talk about murder every day and 
not be crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm crazy, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we love you guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. Don Brick, a 40-year-old resident, stated, and any tragedy, tragedy like this has got to affect the whole community. It is beyond comprehension that anything like this can happen in a community like this, which is, you know, spot on. Like I was saying before, it just doesn't, you know. Right. Investigators, residents, and discovered a terrible scene. So prepare yourself here. Okay. Inside the house on the second level, the duplex, the scene was gruesome. Um, there were two babies, twin boys, that were shot to death along with four adults, all shot to death. Among the dead bodies in this residence was Ambrosio Nalco, his girlfriend, or I'm sorry, ex-girlfriend, Nicole McAfee, their twin infant boys, uh, and Nicole's friend, who was 19 years old, Vanessa Iverson, and Nicole's sister, Ashley Lynn Huerta, who was 21 years old. So happened. What had happened was uh, Ambrosa dropped the kids off to their mother's house um, as like a, you know, a child drop off. They were separated. So this is just something that took place every Sunday, it seemed. And then a fight broke out. So mm. while investigators went through the house, some inspected the vehicle that was parked out in the driveway they just want like they said they were just gonna go through every nook and cranny of this just see what they could find and luckily right. they go through everything because they found two-year-old jasmine who is nicole's and ambrosia's um child together was found she didn't make a sound when investigators opened the door and her eyes were just wide open and my god she was slightly breathing and they noticed that she had a gunshot to her chest so she was hanging on she was then transported to a hospital to get immediate medical treatment as her condition was extremely serious so you're probably wondering what the fuck could have you know triggered all of this to happen yeah how could you shoot a, your own children Right. So Ambroso found a letter from a man to his ex-girlfriend, Nicole, and it sparked an unimaginable chain of events. So that is when the shooting occurred. Marco Pestrana, who was Ambroso's cousin, stated that Ambroso and Nicole had once lived together, but they had a lot of problems and then they ended up splitting. Mm -hmm. It was said that Nicole oftentimes had on her face and it was thought that she may have been a victim of domestic violence. She didn't speak out against him, um, but she took the initiative to distance herself from the father of her children um, just because it wasn't good for anybody. Yeah. Um, which is the scariest thing to do. You know, you're in a domestic type situation where um, you don't know where that person's head is at and then you take the step to remove yourself thinking that's the best thing to do and that could trigger crazy things like this it's the most dangerous time in a domestic relationship is when you leave mm -hmm. 
Um, so Nicole then lived in the house with her sister and another man, um, Cas or Gaspar Huerta. The brother, um, Jose Huerta, was a caller on that fateful night. So Jose stated that she said Ambrosa was the one who punched her and was the reason why um, she had bruises all over her. And that one day she was told by him that he was going to kill her. So, I mean, these are red flags from the get. Yeah. So Jesus Valdez, a neighbor arrived home on Saturday and around that time of the shootings. And although he lived next door, he apparently heard nothing and didn't know anything was wrong until Sunday morning when he went to go take the garbage out. He stated all the cop cars were everywhere. Many of the residents were outside their homes, some sitting on lawn chairs and watching the investigation unfold. And the Walworth County coroner, John Bribel, arrived carrying several folded body bags under his arms. So with that visual, you can only imagine what happened inside. Right. The moments after body wheeled, wheeled out on stretchers, Another resident by the name of Leandra Mena was among those watching. She stated there was never any trouble. Was always, they were always quiet people. It's kind of sudden for something like this to happen, which I thought was kind of a weird statement. It's like, yeah, I mean, nobody expects to be murdered, so. No, definitely not. She also said that she thoughts before she went to bed only she didn't know what they were until the morning. And she thought it was just kids having firecrackers because, you know, it's summer and kids just play. Yeah. So Gasper escaped with his life. Um, he was one of the residents in that duplex and he jumped through a window and went to call through the neighbor's house. He was the one on the call, sorry, that Jose was before, but it was actually Gaspar. Um, he also helped investigators with explaining what happened from his perspective since he was one there. Right. Police Chief Timothy um, 38 semi-automatic handgun was recovered inside. So, you know, the weapon was, there was a kind of a picture of what actually happened. Mm -hmm. So... I'm going to go into some, that's just, you have some perspective on what happened, um, as it is something that does happen, happen, and it's, you know, it's not as infrequent as people think it is. So this statement I found very interesting, and that is that experts said that Tuesday, the killing follow-up pattern played out often enough in the United States that social scientists have once coined a name for it and it's called family annihilation. So the director of Center on Violence and Conflict at Northeastern, um, Jack Levine stated, the pattern is so strong and it's labeled as extreme killings. It's almost always a husband or father who methodically executes the members of his family. He plans the attack far in advance he suffered a prolonged period of frustration and deep depression. 
he experiences what he sees as a catastrophic loss of his children, and he blames everybody but himself for his problems. So here's a very real and scary statistic from the Violence Policy Center in Washington, D.C. They have estimated that about 1,200 Americans die each year in murder-suicides, and its study on the first six months of 2005 found that nearly all of the killers were male use, who used handguns, and three-fourths of the cases involved a romantic partner, such as a girlfriend or a wife or former spouse. So it's definitely something that is happening. Yeah. Here is another direct statistic from Wisconsin Coalition Against Domestic Violence in which they found 28 people were killed in the in this state in which in 2004 as a result of domestic violence and five perpetrators committed suicide after that. What may trigger this type of result is mostly depression and believing that they own or possess their partner and mm -hmm. unfortunately that is mostly common in men. I'm not saying yeah. that women, but it's mostly common in men. Yeah. And although there were no court records indicating that Ambrosa had any domestic violence convictions in Wisconsin, there were definitely signs of abuse and a buildup to what had happened. Um, so the jealous rage converts into a selfish, irrational rage. And that leaves a person, oh. Ambrosa did threaten to kill everyone in the apartment if Nicole, his ex, cheated on him. So that was definitely a red flag. Um, and then with that jealousy, it may also include a revenge aspect to it like um, under child support circumstances or um, like let's say the person moved on and remarried or something like that. And in this case, uh, court records indicate that Ambroso was ordered to pay child support to Nicole totaling $442 off of his $8.80 an hour wages. Um, oh, that's and right, that wage. Huh? That's a lot for that wage. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm assuming it's because of the three kids. Yeah, I would guess that too, but I'm sure that's not how he was looking at it. No, absolutely not. Um, and he was also ordered to pay $25 a month to cover the $4,000 uh, birth expenses for Jasmine. So he was actually found in contempt in March for not paying uh, child support in order to pay um like I said, the 442 per month for three children. So it must have been less. And then he was found in contempt and then was, you know, set at that 442. Mm -hmm. A Ballworth County judge sentenced him to six months in jail, but stayed the sentence as long as he paid the support. So it has been analyzed that by killing the children, it creates devastation for the partner before killing him or her too and that's why they take the extra step on um killing their actual kids because it the more devastating it is um for the person that they're trying to hurt um the more that they're accomplishing which is very sick and twisted 
It really is. Cause that means you don't value your kids' lives either. They're just possessions too. Bonds are possessions. They're not people that you created and love and care for. And in this case, Nicole's sister and friend were also murdered. And it is speculated that it was to cause more pain and almost to make Nicole feel guilty as if her actions caused the chain of events and their suffering is due to her behavior. Right. Um, In the event of a family annihilation, there typically is a last act, which is suicide, uh, unless a person already had started a new life, like um, Chris Watts, that disgusting douchebag. Yeah. Um, He went off himself because of um, him starting a new relationship with another woman. And that oftentimes happens if it's not because of jealousy or possession um, that they don't see as a means to guard whoever's in their way. Um, right. They, at, in this circumstance, they basically see that there's no point in living anymore, that what they have done served its purpose. And then their suicide is just the completion of everything. Yeah. So the following Monday morning, a cluster of teddy bears, stuffed bunnies, a dinosaur, and candles stood underneath the tree outside of the duplex as a memorial for the kids and the the three women that did die. The following Tuesday, the officers who rescued Jasmine visited her in the hospital. Delvin Police Sergeant Todd Weiss stated she obviously lost some family that evening, but I think she gained some family. Lots of uncles in the department who are going to adopt her for a lack of a better term, which is very sweet. Um, they basically, their, you know, their task force, their their law enforcement family, and reached out to her as a child. You know, like she lost everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing was released as far as who she was placed with. Um, but I think that is probably for the best. Um, yeah, you know. I think so. So Kay Makara said that her daughter was one um, amongst the people that were killed. Kay stated that she was very happy, very bubbly, and very friendly. She was also always there for anyone in the family, and she was the one to always prevent a confrontation. She would always step in if two people were fighting and she was the mediator. So it's just really tragic that somebody that would always be some sort of comfort for somebody is taken away like that. Um, Victor Huerta, the brother of Caspar Huerta who escaped the shooting unarmed, felt upset too. He said that Nicole and Ashley were his best friends and he was devastated by losing them. Governor Jim Doyle issued a statement Monday saying his thoughts and prayers were with everyone affected by the heartbreaking shootings, which he said were a reminder that we need to work to ensure the safety of families and communities across the state. Yeah. And I I think that mental health should be talked about. You know, I think that if you go to therapy and (laughs) work on what you have as a problem and it wasn't so stigmatized, a man can go to um, see a therapist and say, hey, I'm having a lot of rage-filled thoughts 
uh, against my partner and I'm not, I'm not taking the separation well or whatever. And it, if it wasn't so um, thought as being weak, I think that we would solve a lot of our fucking problems. I do too. You just sometimes just talking to somebody and getting all your frustrations out. Like we do that before we record. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, if you don't talk to anyone and you keep everything in, eventually it all just bursts out. Yeah. Yeah. And you, it, you know, and therapy is a great resource, but also, I, and I know like it's not, um, I guess talking to somebody that's licensed and that won't just agree with everything that you say is yeah. something that you should do, but also just able to have somebody to go to be a, a somebody listen to your problems and give you constructive criticism and advice is somebody that you should have in life and not everybody has that yeah that's true so this is remembrance of paul mcafee her two six-month-old twin boys Thea and Argenius, ashley Huerta and vanessa iverson and not in remembrance but um a tribute to Jasmine, who is a survivor of all of this. And that's my story. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. It was pretty tough when I seen the, you know, the kids' involvement. I'm like, damn, like, bliss. Yeah, it's heartbreaking that people can do this to their own children, like children at all, but just your own children. Yeah. You can just look at them and not see them as, you know, a little part of you. Yeah. Little bits of you. Yeah. yeah. It, it breaks my heart that they weren't, they were only a means to an end for, yeah. for, by their own dad. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the worst. Yeah. You did a great okay. job. Thank you. Thank you. I want to leave you guys on a positive note. Um, Let's do one thing that makes us happy, even if it's just once a day. Um, Just be mindful of doing something that's happy, like going on a nice long walk by yourself or whatever, you know, even if that means getting a donut. Yeah. Um, But just keeping happiness um is really important it really is and it's just the little things just little things you do add up yeah they really do yeah because the more that you are happy in your life the less that the outside will negatively impact you if you're secure in yourself agreed that's how we can talk about murder every day and not be crazy yeah I mean I'm crazy but here we are (laughs) (laughs) right so we love you guys we love you bye bye all the sins of wisconsin was written recorded edited and produced by fallon and mims thank you so much to all of our listeners supporters friends and family that continually allow us to do what we love 
If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at all the sins of wi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't, don't forget, forget, we love you. Love you.